This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to the first episode of the Prospect Podcast for the 2021 NFL Draft Class. I am joined by former Western New Yorker who decided to move to a similar climate halfway across the country. Matthew Collar, how's it going tonight, Matt? Chris, it's a much uh, drier cold, as they say. There's uh, like less precipitation in Minnesota. So it gets down to 20 below zero regularly here in the winter. So I know that I was growing up a uh, Western New York winter tough, but uh, it is just on a completely different level. Like to use football terms, there is consistently frozen tundra in Minnesota, where it's usually just like piling up snow in Western New York. So there is a bit of a difference. I just want to get that breakdown out of the way before we really get into the prospects. Yeah, I don't think people were expecting like analysis of different types of snow and climate, but with us being Western New York guys, you in Minnesota now, I think that was a, a nice way to begin this podcast. Um, more on the podcast, um, we're going to be diving in, of course, to the 2021 draft class comprehensively, quarterbacks, running backs, sleepers, the whole gamut of every prospect basically that is going to be in this draft class, along with young NFL players, uh, because for CBS Sports, what I do, I'm mainly a draft analyst, but during the season, um, especially September, October, when there's not a lot of interest in the draft, I do a lot of young player analysis. I started at CBS in 2018, so First, second, and third-year players, I remember scouting them. I remember hating some, loving some, being right on a few, wrong on a lot. Um, so we'll go over how all of those young players have performed this season. But, Matt, I think, and we kind of agreed before we jumped on air here, that we should start with this 2021 quarterback draft class. The quarterbacks drive draft content uh, every draft season, and starting at the top with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I think it just they are going to drive even more, maybe more so than the last two draft classes, probably similarly to that 2018 draft class, just because they've been so highly sought after for so long. But really, it's been interesting watching some of the other quarterbacks battling for that number three spot. I think we could see four or maybe even five quarterbacks go in the first round. Well, not only is it a great class of quarterbacks, but it's also a situation in the NFL where all of a sudden there's a lot of teams that could be very interested in quarterbacks. And don't you love how before every year we kind of look at every team, we go, man, there's so many teams that are set at quarterback. I don't know who's going to be looking Happens for one. every year. Right, every year. And then all of a sudden, look at all these teams that are absolutely going to need quarterbacks. And at the top of the draft, you have teams that are jockeying for position for 
who is going to get the generational prospect versus the very good prospect. And then I think we've had, uh, at least I think so, uh, arguments developing of is it Justin Fields number two or is it Zach Wilson number two? Because Zach Wilson has given him, I think, a run for his money this year, or at least he's been the guy where you never really heard of him before or only, I would say, prospect experts such as yourself had heard of him before this season. And then all of a sudden now everyone's talking about Zach Wilson. So maybe we can kind of rank them as we go along for where you think they stand. But I want to ask you about Trevor Lawrence first and just what this season was for him because he came in as by far the tank for Trevor, number one generational prospect. Did he do anything this year in your mind to change that? No, he hasn't. And, uh, I think to come back and to still live up and maybe even exceed the hype that, you know, we've seen like, kind of like we say that every year at the beginning of a season, we say, Oh, look, all these teams are set at quarterback. Another thing we all do is say, look at next year's quarterback class. It's so good. And then like the Matt Barkley's and the Ryan Nassib's and uh, those type of quarterbacks don't really live up to the hype in their final season. Trevor Lawrence has done that. There has not been one thing that I've seen from him. Obviously, we had that little break when he had coronavirus from seeing him. But from arm strength to decision-making to accuracy to athleticism, there's been nothing that has changed the Jets from being like, if we have the first pick, let's just keep Adam Gates on the sidelines. So we go 0-16, so we secure Trevor Lawrence, um, which has been nice because they're, they're, it's – being a draft analyst, there's always so much hype going into a college football season for this great crop of quarterbacks or this number one guy. And a lot of times they just don't live up to it. But Trevor Lawrence, I think, has lived up, if not exceeded, the hype this season. And I go back to, for me, I was all set with the Trevor Lawrence evaluation just in the game against Ohio State in the bowl game because I thought, if there was one thing you needed to know was how would he play when he was getting whipped, which I think is a thing that at least I take into account. And you don't get to see it very often in college football with great quarterback prospects, but guys get whipped in the NFL all the time where you're getting pressured, your offensive line might not be playing well, and how do you find a way to grind out a win or, or do anything in your power? And you remember that big run that he had. So this year I came into it going, this is such a weird year with COVID and if he doesn't play quite as well, especially with him getting COVID and having to sit out, I'm not going to change that because I think I know what he's going to be long-term. Now, there is one question I do have about him, and that's that he does get beat up. Like, he does have some injuries, he's taken some hits, and I, I know that nothing knocks him off that number one pedestal, but if you had the, uh, I guess, one question about your projection for him and what he can be, is that it? Because I think that's it for me. I think he checks all the other boxes. Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, I think just going quickly to that Ohio State game, like those long runs in that game, that cemented it, I think, for this new wave of quarterbacks that have to be mobile and have to be able to run. Maybe not even just in the designed run game, but when things break down, can you not only get outside the pocket and keep your head up, but can you literally run for big yards? Can you pick up a third and 15 when it's man coverage or it's a soft zone and everyone's sinking back? And Trevor Lawrence can do that. Um, but my biggest concern would be, just like you said, um, that he takes too many hits. And, and he kind of reminds me of like a souped-up, more talented version of Andrew Luck, that Andrew Luck would sit in the pocket and, and feel that linebacker coming through the A-gap and still deliver it over the middle, take a big shot. And obviously, ultimately, those hits kind of piled up. 
had a lot of injuries and prematurely ended his career. That would be my only concern. I, it, it would be tough to do as an NFL head coach, but I think they'll have to kind of corral that playmaker mentality a little bit that he needs to learn to throw the football away a little more or slide in the pocket a little more frequently. Uh, I think he moves well in the pocket. He manages it well. He knows how to step up, slide left, right. Uh, his footwork has really been great since he was a freshman. But, yeah, the fact that he's unafraid because he's so big to take hits over time in the NFL, I don't care if you're 6'6 and 235, those hits really take a toll on a quarterback's body. And I like his personality, and I'm sure we can talk more as this goes along, but somebody said – something interesting to me about him that he was the guy trying to organize football to come back. And even if you have moral questions about the NCAA (laughs) bringing back football, which I would totally understand and respect the fact that the guy wanted the pressure to be on him and he wanted to gather everybody together. He wanted to be the voice and the leader. I mean, this is what you ask for as the franchise quarterback in a number one overall pick. You ask for scrutiny. You ask for attention, criticism, you know, people to be asking you questions. Questions and you have to be the face of something all the time. And I think that there are some quarterbacks in the NFL who have been drafted fairly high that have not handled that all that well. And even Baker Mayfield, who now is on a good team and things are much easier for him. But usually if you're drafted number one, you're on a bad team. And so being that face, having that pressure, I thought it said something about him that he wanted to be the leader there, even if, even though we could debate how uh, the NCAA has handled college football. Yeah, the NCAA usually does not handle any of these types of things very well. And with how many cancellations we see every week, it's like, what were they doing? Like letting fans in and starting this conference that like, that's a whole nother story. It goes back to the Andrew Luck thing with him. I Trevor Lawrence is a gamer, but it's interesting because Andrew Luck could have left after that junior season. He would have been in the Cam Newton draft class. Everyone thought he was going to come out. They beat Virginia Tech in that bowl game. He decides to come back to, like, get his degree at Stanford. He wanted to go back with his teammates, compete for a national title. And I think it's kind of a parallel to Trevor Lawrence, like, trying to organize football to be played again. I mean, obviously, he couldn't have left last year. He wasn't eligible yet. But the fact that he seems to be such, like, a leader of that Clemson program and wanted to be there, they lost so much talent on the offensive side. Uh, Justin Ross didn't play this year. His star wide receiver, obviously losing T. Higgins. Um, that I think teams will like that. And that reminds me a lot of Andrew Luck. But again, going back to that, I think Andrew Luck was the ultimate gamer, but at 29 years old, his body finally just said, told his brain enough is enough. You've made your money. You've been very successful. So hopefully again, that, that like the fact that Trevor Lawrence is a gamer and is the ultimate team player uh, I hope that doesn't come back to haunt him by taking a lot of shots and, and diving for first downs when he should go out of bounds and kind of things like that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, I, I, I want to get to the other quarterbacks, but um, when it comes to looking at him and trying to poke a hole in something, I'm having a tough time doing it. <laughs> and, you know, usually, yeah, it's hard. Usually it's hard. you can. Usually you could say it's, it's something. And with Baker, I, that was my concern with him coming out is like, is he going to have the personality to handle the pressure of being a franchise quarterback and a number one pick? And at times he hasn't, at times he has. Uh, I don't have that question with Trevor Lawrence. It really is only the injuries. Now, when it comes to number two, I'm going to try. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to try to sell Zach Wilson for you, okay, <laughs> for the number two quarterback. Arm talent. 
I mean, Zach Wilson throws the football like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think just even like his technique, how the ball comes out of his hand, how quickly he's able to release it. And I watch him in the way that he moves and throws off platform and is creative and can make plays even when there's pressure and escape it. And then it just explodes out of his hand with accuracy. So you have this combination of a guy that has a uh, Jim McMahon-like mentality uh, and a Brett Favre and, and whatever you want, you know, quarterbacks who love to create out of nowhere, and then arm talent that is absolutely special. And he might be better because of that than Justin Fields, who is a great runner and a great thrower on platform. But I'm not sure that when it comes to when things break down and the way he moves, he can be as creative and as explosive with his passing downfield when things go wrong. Does that convince you that Zach Wilson should be number two? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good sell and very good BYU reference to Jim McMahon from Zach Wilson. So that was, I don't want to call him Ty Detmer. Yeah. I mean, Jim McMahon's probably, or I mean, Steve Young would be the best quarterback from BYU, but, but the Jim McMahon isms, I I can kind of see that. Uh, he's inching up there. I mean, what's interesting is that he hasn't played in the last couple of weeks. Justin Fields in his last game threw three interceptions against Indiana, two of which were on plays where he was trying to do too much, improvising, throwing the ball at the last second, should have just thrown it away or taken the sack. One, he completely missed the middle of the field safety and just threw a seam route like right to the safety. Has not thrown a lot of interceptions. But I think what you said about Zach Wilson, arm talent and how natural of a playmaker he is, those are like the two phrases I would use to just summarize him. I don't think he has – necessarily the strongest arm but to me arm talent is what you kind of describe being able to make throws different platforms a defender on your leg uh, throwing across your body if you find someone open down the field and it's funny going from Trevor Lawrence to Zach Wilson trying to find and kind of nitpick his game watching Zach Wilson's film this year I, I can't really find a clear flaw the accuracy at all levels is there They're not just throwing bubble screens all day. He's getting through his reads. Like there's times where you see him get all the way across the field and the arm talent downfield and off platform and running shovel passing when he needs to, Uh, he really fits the mold of a modern day quarterback. And it's, it's really going to be fascinating. If Ohio state can't play another game, they might not be eligible for the big 10 title game. If their game gets canceled uh, this weekend. So It'll be interesting to see what that does for the reputation of Justin Fields ending with a three turnover or three interception game that they almost lost at home to Indiana. They had a big lead. He kind of helped squander that lead. And then Zach Wilson just set the world on fire. The only concern really would be the level of competition. But BYU has not played a bunch of, you know, D1 AA schools. They played teams that have similar talent across the board and they've just blown everyone off the field. I mean, BYU was, or Boise State was ranked when they played BYU, and BYU's offense just was unstoppable that entire game. So Zach Wilson is, to me, that out of nowhere, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield guy that it's been funny, like talking to you off air about this. Yeah, he's a first rounder a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he'll probably go in the top half of the first round. I don't think top five is out of the question for him, especially when you're, again, we're talking about Jets, Jaguars, Washington football team, uh, Carolina Panthers, 
maybe the Lions. Uh, there are so many teams that need a quarterback, Minnesota Vikings potentially, uh, that I think Zach Wilson really has all the tools and all the traits that all these GMs and scouts love today in their quarterback. I feel like I want to come up with a name for when we talk Washington and where they're going to pick. And, and like, we should call them whatever name you want them to be like dragons or sharks or something. Like I say the Sharks should take them with the third overall pick until they get a name. We can make up their name. Um, it still hasn't really hit me like seeing it on Twitter, like WFT. I'm always like, what is that abbreviation for? I'm like, Oh yeah. Washington football team. It's still has not hit me yet. It's, and if they stick with that, it'll be strange if they don't like, go with an actual mascot next year like come on Daniel Snyder it's, it's also really appropriate that it looks like WTF every time that you look exactly. at it. like that's exactly what I say to why you kept your name for so long but anyway um so what what are the odds give it a, give it a percentage that someone falls in love with Zach Wilson to the point where he goes number two because I'm not really even playing hypothetical here. I, just from watching them both, I like Zach Wilson a little bit better. And I, I think that in terms of how it translates, being a great runner is great for Justin Fields. I think that's a huge part of his value, but how it translates in terms of having to throw off platform and be creative to being a guy who can win a Super Bowl, I think is a, I think is a huge deal. And I don't mean to downplay Justin Fields because he can throw on the run, but I mean there's a different like mentality from throwing on the run versus I'm going to move this way and somehow find a way to get the ball into a spot where it should never be able to go. And maybe maybe that's just watching too much Mahomes and Rodgers and seeing a little bit of them. And I don't want to say he's going to be that, but but there's something about that in the NFL today that I think really translates to winning. Yeah, I would say it's probably about a 30 to 40% chance right now. I, I still think Justin Fields will be that guy. The one thing I will say, too, and this is going to sound like I hate Justin Fields. I don't. I, I actually just did, like, an early uh, grading of him, and he was, like, right in between where I had Joe Burrow and Tua Tungabailoa last year. So I really like Justin Fields. Do not get that wrong. The fact that – and this is will be the knock on Justin Fields that at Ohio State, he's throwing to wide-open receivers almost every play. He's one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the nation. I think Indiana did a great job pressuring him, and he kind of didn't know what to do and took a lot of sacks, a lot of hits, three interceptions. Zach Wilson, again, his talent, his wide receivers, his tight ends are not anything special relative to the competition that he's played. I've seen a lot more tight window throws and throws where you're like, oh, she tried to fit that in there, and then the ball gets there because it has enough accuracy and enough velocity. That Ohio State offense, it's spread out. There's five-star guys all over the field. They're a, a step or two above every team they face in the Big Ten. And this is not fair, but he's going to get hit with the what have these Ohio State quarterbacks done that JT Barrett set records, and then Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdowns and had 70% completion, and those guys were either changing positions, if you're talking about Braxton Miller, or picked late in the draft or undrafted or busting in their second season as a first-round pick. So that's the only concern that I have is that if Justin Fields goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars and he's pressured a lot and his receivers aren't getting wide open, is he going to be ready to improvise and throw off platform? I think Zach Wilson is better suited to be that savior of a team that has some flaws where he needs to mask deficiencies early in his career. At some point, we need to create a Hall of Fame for bad criticisms of quarterbacks. And my first nomination, first ballot Hall of Famer is 
quarterbacks from that college don't succeed. They don't Horrible. from any college. Like there are so few good quarterbacks in NFL history. You can do this with any college. Hey man, all those Auburn quarterbacks who have become stars since camp that Miami of Ohio. I know those people don't like that, but the Miami in Ohio, that one. Yeah. They produced Ben Roethlisberger and then a bunch of NFL quarterbacks after, right? I mean, that was, that was a, the Jeff Tedford kale thing with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's one of the silliest arguments. Justin Fields is so much better of a prospect than Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I, I looked at the Dwayne Haskins had said, I think the guy would be lucky to be Kirk Cousins, honestly. Like with his Yeah, Dwayne Haskins was my like sixth quarterback in that draft. He was like a third rounder to me. You could just see that all of his stats are maybe not all of them, but the majority of them were because of the talent that they had. He was throwing drag routes pretty much every play, did not have accuracy down the field, and certainly could not create outside the pocket. Then he goes to the Redskins, they don't have a great line, they have Terry McLaurin. And really, no one else. And the Sharks, you, you know, mean. he got drafted by the, the Sharks. Sharks. The Sharks. Five <laughs> games in, or whatever it was, the season, he's already on the bench. So I, I think, but yeah, the Ohio State quarterback thing, or any college being a reason why you should or shouldn't draft a player, that's you will not hear that on this podcast because we're we're not going to bring it up because that is garbage analysis. And we will definitely make fun of it though. Uh, so For sure. Here's what I where it gets muddy though. Because these three, to me, are elevated above the rest, and I think by a decent margin. Now, who's next on your list? Because I think most people would have come into this and said, easily Trey Lance. But Trey Lance is suffering from the fact that he's not playing, and that he played one game. And this guy doesn't have passes that he's thrown. I mean, even you look at it, the, his box score numbers, you go like, wait, he threw like, you know, whatever, 14 passes in some of these games and then ran. And how am I supposed to figure out versus someone like Justin Fields that has a huge sample or like Zach Wilson that has a huge sample where I put Trey Lance in comparison to Mac Jones, who has really emerged and Kyle Trask, who is playing outstanding football lately. I know that you compared him to cousins, but I think he's, he's looked really excellent for Florida. So how do you deal with the next group who are all first round talents? Yeah. I mean, I'll admit being in, in early December, I'm not totally sure how Trey Lance factors in for all those points that you just mentioned. He got the exhibition game against central Arkansas in October, but really just have to go back and, and obviously watch the 2019 film. I can summarize Trey Lance. And I think all we should do right now is just summarize him. He reminds me of a more advanced version of Colin Kaepernick that he has a very strong arm, like a, a truly a cannon for an arm. And that's with velocity to the intermediate level. That's deep down the field can just effortlessly flick the football. And he's a very talented runner. Like you can use him in the designed run game. He's like 6'3", 220, not quite as big as Kaepernick, but I think he can like run away from linebackers in the NFL. Uh, but like you mentioned, North Dakota State offense, very run heavy. They wanted to just play good defense, run the football, kind of old school. And I didn't see him getting through reads very often. I think that was the problem with Colin Kaepernick, that when things were schemed up early on in San Francisco and he could just get to that first read, if it was there, Michael Crabtree was open, Delaney Walker was open, things were good. After that, I think, and why we didn't see him progress into this elite quarterback. Like, do you remember when Ron Jaworski said he was going to be the greatest yes. quarterback in NFL history after like one season? Yes. Why that never happened. 
um, was, I think, obviously some talent deteriorated around him, but that he wasn't the best getting through his reads and saying, oh, he's not open, let's get to number two, number three. I don't think Trey Lance is there yet. He's young. He's only started one season. So that was kind of a long-winded summary, but that's kind of, if you want to view someone and certainly take away all the off the field stuff, whether you agree with it or not, but he reminds me stylistically of Colin Kaepernick who went in the second round and had some productive seasons in the NFL, but he's still my number four quarterback at this point behind Lawrence Fields and Zach Wilson. Yeah. I was just thinking about like every once in a while you could, uh, maybe we need a bell or something to ring when one of us is going to go for, outrageous hyperbole is just like you know the greatest quarterback <laughs> what was the point of that what was the point know, right it's like yeah i think uh the bar for passing like joe montana is pretty high but well <laughs> you know it's just, okay pal uh you know anyway so that was after like not winning the super bowl i think right mm-hmm. so correct yeah, well, uh, but the the Trey Lance thing is going to be fascinating because the quarterbacks behind him, I think, are more projectable. Guys like Kyle Trask, guys like Mac Jones, I think you can kind of tell what their floor would be but and kind of what their ceiling is, where with Trey Lance, it seems like the ceiling is pretty hard to figure out. That Maybe he'll be the uh, quarterback version of Bo Jackson, ring the hyperbole bell. That's what he'll be. That's what Trey Lance <laughs> will be. I, I, I want to do this every podcast that we talk about Trey Lance, is I'm going to call him something absolutely ridiculous because I've, I've honestly watched one game of his against, what was it, Northwestern? Central Arkansas, Arkansas or what is North, whatever, whatever it was. That's yeah, what I've seen not so far. Top competition. So. <laughs> Well, what about what about the ne- the next the level there? And, and I mean, are these guys first rounders even with uh, you know Trask and Mac Jones? I think they're both going to go in the first round. I mean, what's fascinating about Mac Jones is that, and you can ring the bad analysis bell with this one that you watch an Alabama quarterback to a tongue of Iloa the last couple of years, great offensive line, embarrassment of riches at the receiving uh, position that. He was throwing to wide open players. They took like 10 deep shots a game. He had crazy yards per attempt. And like Mac Jones is like having a statistically, in terms of rates, like better season than what Tua had. And it's like, and the, the accuracy is there. Uh, the decision making, I think it is close. So if Tua went number five overall, then yeah, I think Mac Jones is, is going to go in the first round because the production and the big plays down the field are just too hard to ignore. I don't think he has a great arm, and I, I don't – he's not a great athlete for the quarterback position. Um, I don't know if it was just the number 10 that did it to me, and we can talk about quarterback uh, comparisons due to number, too, how bad of analysis that is. But when I watched him, I got, like, Mark Bolger vibes. <laughs> That's that, great. That, great from back in the day that, like, just pre-greatest show on turf, Rams, like, he was a pretty productive quarterback. Um wasn't really going to move around a lot, not a strong iron, but like knew where to go with the football, good touchdown the field. I, I actually did, and let's see, I, I did it on almost all these quarterbacks, uh, an early grading of these players. And where Mac Jones ended up was actually the same grade as Kyle Trask, and that was like back few picks of round one, early round two, compared to what I did last year. Like I had Jacob Eason in the second round early, And I had them graded a little bit higher than Jacob Eason. Different quarterbacks, but just the grade came out similar. Uh, So, yeah, Mac Jones, I think he's going to go, though, in the first round because of the production. I just don't know if he has all the tools. And, like, we've been talking about almost the theme of this podcast, the ability to improvise, I don't think is there. 
Yeah. I, I do see him shuffle in the pocket decently when things break mm-hmm. down a little, but if you can't improvise even to some extent, and this is an issue that Kirk Cousins ends up with at times. And I think that why a lot of quarterbacks like this get the Kirk Cousins comparison, I feel like that's been coming up all the time over the last couple of years. It's like if a guy can't really run and he can't really improvise, but he can throw off platform accurately, then he's Kirk Cousins by a lot of the, uh, the, the player comps. And so I think that that makes sense also with Kyle Trask because I don't see that from him either. Yeah, and I think with Mac Jones and with Kyle Trask uh, that they try to improvise. They can run with – they can pick up a third and five with their legs if they need to, but your point about Kirk Cousins and being able to throw off platform when when they're not at the top of their drop, perfectly set up, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, neither of them have the arm talent or arm strength to kind of differentiate those two things to make those big-time throws when they have to shuffle their feet and they can't get reset. Zach Wilson certainly can. Trevor Lawrence can. Maybe to a lesser degree, but Justin Fields can as well. But Kyle Trask and Mac Jones watching their film uh, all this season and kind of re-diving into it over the weekend, those were my biggest concerns about them, that in these perfect systems with great skill position players, great offensive lines, they operate the system well. They're very accurate. That's why they've been so productive. Uh, They typically know where to go with the football. Not a lot of getting through their reads, but when things even slightly break down, that's when you see passes skipping in the dirt or underthrown down the field when, and maybe I'm like you, spoiled from watching Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, but that's kind of what you want to uh, achieve or, or hope to, to strive for if you're picking a quarterback early in the first round, they don't have that ability. So that's why I kind of have them graded just on the back end of the first round or early second. And to me, that says the highest end that you get with quarterbacks like that is Kirk Cousins. And the, the median is like Kyle Orton or something. You know, you end up with, if you can't do that, you're kind of a 500 quarterback usually. And then whether you can succeed or not depends so heavily on where you land. So maybe if you land in San Francisco and your best friend is Kyle Shanahan, then, you know, you can go places exactly. with quarterbacks like that. Yep. But if you don't, and you yeah, probably and I mean. Yeah, and that could be, uh, you know, what ultimately happens with them, that they get picked later in the first round to a a good team if they land with the Saints with Sean Payton and they have a good situation around them. I think they could be decent. I just don't think uh, Mac Jones and even Kyle Trask, and they put up ridiculous numbers, they're probably the two Heisman finalists right now, the two front runners, uh, that they're going to be elevating a team. That if a receiver leaves in free agency or they lose – a left tackle in week one to an ACL, I think things could get really bad. And I think that Kirk Cousins as the median, that when things are great, when there's Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen uh, and the and the run game's working, Kirk Cousins can complete 70% of his passes and throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns. But when things aren't perfect, then that's when the quarterback looks like a giant liability. And that's kind of how I, the vibe that I get with Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Okay. I've got three burning questions before we wrap up and we can call them anything you want. Uh, extra points field. Let's call them extra points. I like that. Off of the goalposts. Okay. Extra points then. (laughs) Um, I want to know 
Uh, Najee Harris versus Travis Etienne. If there's any chance that Najee Harris, uh, it, it all gets into the same conversation. And I mean, are we talking about first rounders? Are we talking about two first round running backs? Cause I think Etienne has a good chance to be one. Um, but you gotta be that good to be a first round running back usually. Yeah. I think at this point, Travis Etienne is still the front runner to be a first round pick and to be the first running back off the board, obviously. Uh, and, me throwing out a bunch of comparisons in the opening podcast is kind of fitting because I love NFL comparisons. So people are going to hear those a lot. I mean, a lot of people shy away from them. Like a lot of draft analysts, I don't want to do that. It's like, lean into why? It. Yeah. I love to lean into it. They're all stylistic just to give a listener or a reader an idea of the type of player. Like obviously situation matters and usage and all that. But Travis Etienne reminds me of Alvin Kamara and Najee Harris reminds me of like in his prime, Le'Veon Bell. Like, so interesting watching Najee Harris in that he's 6'1", 230. And actually right now, he's forced missed tackles at a higher rate than Travis Etienne, which, prob- which when I found that, blew my mind. Like, just watching the film, uh, obviously I wasn't counting all the forced missed tackles. But seeing how elusive Najee Harris is at 6'1", and 230, um, they're both great receivers. I like the fact that not all of Najee Harris's targets are just screens or swing passes. Like they have him on some wheel routes down the field. He almost had a touchdown earlier in the season on one. Uh, he's a really rare specimen from Alabama. I'm not, he's not Derrick Henry, but I think he better fits the NFL than a lot of these past Alabama running backs. Like even after Derrick Henry, like Bo Scarborough, uh, obviously Josh Jacobs has been pretty good, but, for being that big bulldozing running back, he's a supreme athlete. And from just over the last couple of weeks watching them both, I don't think um, athletically there's that big of a difference between the two. ETN's going to be smaller, has more receiving uh, pedigree coming into the draft. So I think he'll probably still be the first running back off the board. But being a draft analyst, like I don't care as much about like where a guy's picked. I care like three years down the road who is a better player. It would truly not surprise me if Najee Harris has more staying power uh, and and is just as useful, so therefore is a more valuable draft pick, like going in the middle of the second round to a team than maybe a team like the Saints or one of those high-powered offenses that, that kind of gets their Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round by picking Travis Etienne. Just, I wasn't expecting this from Najee Harris. Um, I thought he was a good back, but just what he's been able to show with his elusiveness and just his soft hands at 6'1 and 230 has really impressed me. So it won't shock me if he's a better value pick in three or four years. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've been thinking about this even with someone like DeAndre Swift, who showed flashes and for some reason the Lions weren't giving him the ball because Lions. Um, Matt but, Patricia. Um, you know, at some point, it is worth it because the football player you're getting is really, really good. It probably isn't mm-hmm. for anybody in that top 10 range and maybe not even in the 10 to 20 range. But if you're getting a player like Alvin Kamara or someone who can change the game and run and pass past the first round, then it does become worth it. If you're getting the second best player at his position and the fifth or sixth best football player in the entire draft in the second round, then, okay, you should do that. Yeah, more of the kind of making fun of analysis. I know that we've gotten into this analytics era, which I love. I know you love it as well. But the idea that running backs don't matter, like you can literally pick up a guy off the street, like just 
because there's been like three or four undrafted running backs that are good, and there's been 500 that have been terrible. I don't really buy into that. I think second, third round, if you need a game-changing back and he's a good receiver like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and Le'Veon Bell and Alvin Kamara are, I'm totally fine with the team. Maybe not like the first pick in the second round, but back end of the second, certainly in the third or fourth, I think you almost need to pick a running back there to still get a quality talent at, at certainly not a position that has a ton of value, but is still on the field quite often that can be useful in your offense. And I also think the, another thing is you need to prepare for using that guy early and he's going to be a huge impact guy right away, but you should always prepare for those four years that you're going to have them. And that should be it because mm-hmm. then you get into the danger zone. So that has to factor into where you value him. Uh, our second extra point Kyler Murray, we came into this year loving up Kyler Murray. I will admit I was part of this. I thought, give him another year, and he is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It started to kind of go that way, and now it's started to kind of go back the other way, and they've lost some games. He hasn't played as well and just has not been as good at passing the football as I thought he would be this year. I thought he would make major progress passing. He's been an all-time great running quarterback this year, but should we be a little concerned that Kyler Murray will never have the passing ceiling that we initially thought? Yeah, I think so. Uh, And I think we need to remember, though, first, in his defense, that he only started one season in college. Like, counting college and his 27 starts in the NFL – Combine those together, fewer starts than what Baker Mayfield had at Oklahoma alone. So I'm like, I'm someone as a draft analyst that I don't like to have set things that I need to see. Like, I don't have like a Bill Parcells, like, I need to see 65% completion because everything's evolving, everything's changing. But I do like quarterbacks that are really experienced in college, that have seen every coverage, that have been in raucous environments, big games have had bad games, had to bounce back. Kyler Murray played one season at Oklahoma, and it was, you know, going to the Cardinals, landing in the same offense, I think really helped him. But I think we're seeing someone that truly is still developing as a passer. He only has two games with a yards per attempt average over eight this season, and one of those games was against the Jets. Uh, There's four games with his YPA under seven, and seven's kind of like the threshold. You want to see seven closer to eight. As you know, so I think the running element and how many times they've given him the football inside the red zone, inside the 10, and all the rushing touchdowns kind of elevated his MVP stock there for a little bit. But with DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, um, a better offensive line that gets and a scheme that gets the football out quickly, I don't think he's great at reading coverages. And like I was saying about some of these other quarterbacks, getting through his reads, I don't really think he's there yet um, because he's just – a young player who's just not very experienced. And the the concern I had as you get um, calls from sources on the draft phone, um, <laughs> the uh, the concern that I have is just when he actually throws the football. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. it. I mean, yeah, there is some hesitation in his game that I haven't liked to see, but I think you know we'll see how that plays out. It's actual throws that don't look good and inaccurate throws, throws behind people, throws that look like wounded ducks, throws that look like knuckleballs. That was not something I expected to see from him after the way he threw the football at Oklahoma. So I thought, you know, this is a little concerning and maybe things speeding up in his mind is forcing him to lose 
some of the technical elements at times, or maybe he's not as good on the move of throwing the ball as I expected him to be because he's a runner. And so something, something is a tick off there that they're going to have to work around or improve over the years. But there is also the element that, like you said, we expect people to be great quarterbacks in like two years. And if you're not, then just like, please leave, please get out of the NFL, go play baseball nerd. Like that's it. It's a, (laughs) it's a, it's remarkable how like the NFL was patient, in years past for a really long time. And then suddenly I'm not sure when it happened. We turned a corner and said, you better be a superstar right away or go, you know, whatever. So um, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I also have the same concern. Last one for you. Uh, you know that I covered the Minnesota Vikings and mm-hmm. pretty impressed with Justin Jefferson, who I think is offensive rookie of the year should be. And all the folks who are concerned that he only played in the slot comes in as an outside receiver and starts blowing the world away. And I, I know that that was you. So apologize to Justin Jefferson because you had concerns last year. Tell him you're sorry, Chris. Man, I'm taking this L really early. And <laughs> being a draft analyst is like, which, by the way, on this podcast, eventually we're going to go through my hits and my misses. I think it's important to talk about both. Um, I hate when I have misses. Like, I'm striving to get every evaluation right. But it's like a weatherman, like I still keep my job even if I miss on these players. And Justin Jefferson was a huge miss for me, and I'm saying that before the end of his rookie season. I was worried about the fact that he was predominantly in the slot, that they predominantly ran four and five wide receiver sets. The field was completely spread. He had Joe Burrow throwing him the football, which was pretty nice. Um, And the fact that a a fair amount of his production I thought was schemed open, like deep overouts, play actions – uh, RPOs where the linebackers sucked up and he had the middle of the field all to himself. There were some splashy plays. There were some contested catches that I thought he he did a good job. I had him graded the last pick in the second round. So go ahead, look back on it on CBSSports.com. Wow. Yeah, bad, bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is an L. <laughs> that I didn't see the route running chops that he has shown, and like every week on Twitter and. and this is almost going to sound like sacrilege being a draft analyst, but I'll see like a highlight of, oh, Justin Jefferson, eight catches, 150, 60 yards, three scores, and I'll watch them, and I'm like, I'm blown away. Not saying that he never showed it. I just didn't see it. I thought that so much of it was that perfect storm of awesomeness at LSU last season, but he's an outstanding route runner. The contested catches are still there. I think he can start and stop faster or as fast as any rookie receiver, maybe since Odell Beckham Jr. And he's really elevated this Vikings team, elevated Kirk Cousins. And for a rookie receiver to do that uh, is super impressive, taking a huge L on my – he was my number 14 wide receiver. Wow. 14. Yikes. Bad. Uh, that is bad. Aaron Rodgers knew. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers knew. He wanted him. He wanted him. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll just try to make you feel better with telling you that I thought Josh Rosen would be a great quarterback. So just like, well, we're admitting things that went wrong in terms of takes. Um, but I, I will say this about Justin Jefferson from covering him on a daily basis with the Vikings is that he cares about route running details. Like he stuck himself to Adam Thielen's hip throughout training camp and he learned and learned and learned. I mean, the guy is a sponge and he cares about it and he loves it. And the other part of it too, because you know, he's fast and all that stuff. um, He's a baller. Like he wants to be LeBron James. That's who he told me that he loves is LeBron James. Like he, he wants to be like that. 
He wants to make plays. He, that's what you always talk to him about is he's, he's talking about like making game changing plays and he might have the strongest hands I've seen since. I don't know. Like Larry Fitzgerald. If you throw the ball anywhere near him, he is catching it because he has these insanely strong hands where he just can snatch the ball away from somebody. So I think it's the, the combination of somebody whose personality we maybe didn't know as, as it's hard to know from the outside in college, that really wanted to be great. Like that's where he set the bar for himself and that matters. And then throwing it down the field to him with these insanely strong hands, he can go up and get just about anything. So um, I think there's a lot that's played into it and and some things that were hard to know. It's hard to know how a guy's going to play as an outside receiver when they didn't in college. Yeah. And it's weird because like I said, sometimes I think receivers elevate a quarterback and I guess watching Joe Burrow and falling in love with everything that Joe Burrow did on the football field last year I felt like he was elevating the wide receivers, that, that his pinpoint accuracy, the improvisation uh, was really was leading to just ridiculous stats for Jamar Chase, for Justin Jefferson, even Terrace Marshall, who's in this upcoming draft class. Um, so, yeah, that was a huge L for me. And I'm wondering, is Justin Jefferson, like, already a top five route runner in the NFL? I think he is. He's up there. I, he ran one against Carolina where he slammed on the brake so hard. The other guy just went by like crossing over somebody uh, in, on the basketball court. I mean, it really has been incredible to see how quickly he has advanced as a route runner. I mean, we had a sense for it in camp because you could see he just moved differently than everybody else. Um, but we were a little hesitant because, okay, is he going to play the outside? That's really hard. Camp is messed up. There was no OTAs and he didn't even start the season as their outside receiver. And then they throw him in there and he has 170 yards his first game, just blowing people out of the water. Like, Oh, uh, I think it's going to work. So um, yeah, I, I think he is a terrific route runner. He can continue to grow on his releases. He could continue to grow on just all the information that goes along with playing in the NFL. But he's a guy that, I mean, is an immediate instant snap your finger superstar. And, and that's just, even for receivers, a position where you could just get him the football it doesn't happen all the time to see somebody put the, their name in the top 10 in receiving yards and at the top in yards per catch instantly like that. And I think also it's a good combination for him going down the field with Kirk Cousins, who throws the ball accurately down the field and gives him a chance. So, uh, yeah, it's, it has really worked out much better than you thought it would. So this was, uh, this was a really fun first episode, Chris. This is great. I am happy to be here, man. Yeah, Matt, uh, having such a, a savvy veteran – to talk just so I'm not talking into my computer screen to all the listeners (laughs) is a huge benefit for me. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Thank you for listening everyone to the first episode of the prospect podcast.